Hello and welcome to the Wellspring Tabernacle Podcast. Wellspring Tabernacle is a Bible-based Trinitarian Christian church in Marble, North Carolina. We seek to impact our community through preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in power and demonstration of the Spirit of God. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and may God bless. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Wellspring Tabernacle. Glad you've joined us, glad you're here. All throughout the worship service, the songs about the blood, I'm reminded of one that it's an old song. But it says, there is a fountain filled with blood that's drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. I'm thankful this morning for the blood. Thankful for it, thankful for it. If you have a Bible, go ahead and be turning over to the second chapter of John. We'll be going back into our walk through John's gospel this morning. And I am so excited about this message this morning and about what God has in store for his people. But it's in what is considered one of the most famous passages in all of the Bible. We arrive at the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. This wedding, the reason that it is so important is because it marks the beginning of Christ's miracles and it served as kind of a soft announcement of who he was as the Messiah. But what few realize is that this portion of John's gospel is filled with some of the most beautiful gospel-centered symbolism in all of Scripture. Let's Look at our text, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, In the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. I'm going to pause right there just for a minute. Those are the last recorded words of Jesus' mother in all the Bible. Those she, We don't know anything else that she said beyond those, but what a last word to leave. Whatever he says, do it. I think we could all glean, I could stop right there and preach on whatever he says, do it. But it goes on in verse 6 and it says, And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. 
This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for Jesus and what he's done in our lives. Lord, we pray now, God, Holy Ghost, that you would give the increase and that you would multiply your word into our hearts this morning, Lord, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, before we dive in, I want to give full disclosure that I have not read or heard what comes next anywhere. I was studying the text through this past week and the Spirit of God began to show me things that I had never seen before that had been in the text the entire time. But that's just, just full disclosure. But I want us to look really quick. At look, just walking through this text at verses 1 and 2, we open it with it being the third day of Jesus' public ministry. All right, the, the third day. Now, all right, I've, I've never noticed this before, but in chapter 1, Jesus has been announced by John the Baptist as the Lamb of God, and that symbolizes his birth. He has been baptized, and that foreshadows his death, burial, and resurrection. And on the third day, the day that we know he rose out of the grave, he attends a wedding. Jesus is revealed, his death, burial, and resurrection foreshadowed, and on the third day we see what his resurrection will one day accomplish with a wedding that he and his disciples were invited to. All right, now something that I want you to understand about weddings in Christ's day, all right, in Christ's day, when a man and woman came to the point of courtship that led to engagement, the man would meet with the girl's family and they would negotiate the bride price. Oh, I feel the the Holy Ghost. All right. When the agreed upon price was reached, the man would pour a cup of wine and he would offer it to his future bride and say, this is my covenant with you. Take it and drink. Her taking the cup was saying yes to his proposal of marriage. Afterwards, the man would return to his father's house and begin building a room for him and his new bride. The bride and groom weren't allowed to see one another during this time, but he would send the equivalent of his best man to her her with messages. He wasn't going to let his bride wonder about what he was doing. He was going to send a messenger to tell her how much he loved her and to tell her, honey, I'm working and I'm getting everything prepared and one day you're going to come and live with me. All right, one day finally that boy's father would look at him and say, okay, son, you're done building. Gather your groomsmen and go get your bride. When this happens, the bride and groom finally see one another at the wedding. All right, now in case I need to explain this any further, here we go. Jesus came to this earth seeking a bride. The bride's price was his death and he agreed to that price, poured out his blood in covenant with his bride and returned to his father's house to prepare. All right, John 14, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions or rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you and if I go to prepare a place for you then I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. Jesus paid the bride price pouring out the blood of the covenant and he now invites everyone. Let whosoever will come and drink of the water of life freely. He invites everyone to partake in this covenant and in the meantime just like that 
that groom's best man would carry messages to the bride back and forth, God sent down the Holy Ghost to commune and speak with his church. All right, John 14 goes on to say, Jesus said that I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another comforter. The disciples was worried. Thomas had risen up and said, Lord, where are you going? We don't know the way. And he said, Thomas, I am the way, the truth and the life. But he tells them, he says, I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another comforter and that he will abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him not, but ye know him for he, sh for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. But I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. All right, the spirit of God is the intermediary person of the Godhead that brings about Christ's reconciliation and covenant of grace. Jesus said he would not leave us comfortless, but he would send the Spirit, and he has. You and I have never met God the Father. We've never met Jesus person face to face, all right? We only know them through and by the commuting ministry of God the Holy Ghost. The best man of the groom is bringing the bride everything the groom wants her to hear and everything he wants her to have before he comes for a wedding feast. And one day, one day, one day, church, the father is going to look at the son and say, son, go take your groomsman and, take, and go and get your bride, friend. Let me tell you, one day after a while, the Bible says the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God's going to sound the eastern sky the sky is going to rip itself open and here he'll come with thousands upon thousands of his holy angels coming to get his church but then and, and just let me cap this off the Bible says that we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in a moment in a twinkle of an eye and there shall we ever be with the Lord. We're going to take flight and meet Jesus. We're going to a wedding. But now looking at verses 3 through 7, Jesus' mother comes to him and tells him they're out of wine. Now there's some of the most beautiful symbolism in these next few verses that I've ever seen in all of the Bible. Alright, this wedding party is symbolic of the Jewish people of Christ's day. They didn't have any wine. They'd broken their covenant with Yahweh time after time and at this point in their history the miraculous was gone. No miracles, no prophets, just the rituals of what had once been a living relationship with their God. They were out of wine. Looking at verse 7, we see how truly destitute of the spirit they were they had no wine all they had were empty stones just like what the law of Moses had become it had become empty just like those stone pots destitute of life without the manifest presence of God just like lost people and a whole lot of the church today they were distant from and destitute of God then Jesus commands those stone pots to be filled with water. All right, those stone pots are symbols of the Mosaic law written in stone. And just like the law at this time, they were empty. This law couldn't save them. The animal sacrifice system offered no lasting effect against sin. Now, I've struggled for a real long time wondering how it was exactly that Christ fulfilled the law. And God finally gave me an answer. The law was perfect. All right, make no mistake. There's nothing wrong with the law of God. It's perfect. Jesus didn't abolish the law. 
It was the system surrounding the law that made it ineffective. He abolished that old covenant sacrificial system. He brought the law into the new covenant and so now it does what it was intended to do. It's written on our hearts and shows us our sin and points us to the solution for our sin. The law always pointed to the need for a sacrifice but the only sacrifice that would eternally satisfy the justice the law demanded was Jesus. It wasn't until Jesus. Now remember, what did he say? He said, take those stone pots and fill them with water. What does the Bible say that Jesus is? Does it not say that he's the water of life? Is that not right? Okay. The water of life was poured into the law. And that law became alive and written on our hearts. The justice the law of God demanded would only be satisfied by the best wine. The blood of Jesus is the only thing that satisfies it. And just as Jesus' death and resurrection was better than the old covenant, this wine was better than what had been served first. God kept the good wine, the blood of Jesus, until last. All right, now this new wine couldn't stay in an old bottle. What did Jesus say about putting new wine in old bottles? In Matthew 9, 17, it says, Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break and the, when the wine runs out and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new bottles and both are preserved. This new wine of a new covenant went into the old bottle of the old covenant and it was so powerful and so impactful that the old covenant shattered. When Jesus died, the veil of the temple was ripped in twain from top to bottom because new wine, royal wine, the blood of Jesus had been put into it. Hebrews 10 said he takes away the first that he may establish the second. The power of this second covenant, of the blood of this covenant was so strong that it broke the first into pieces, made it obsolete and established itself on the perfect sacrifice of Christ all in one motion. I love the book of Hebrews because it talks about this that no longer in the blood of bullocks and goats would God find satisfaction but he said lo I come in the volume of the book and a body that you prepared for me to do thy will O God and that was exactly what happened as the water of life was poured into the law blood came out and the first person it's given to is the governor of the feast. Now, why was the governor of the feast the first one to taste it? Because he's a symbol of God the Father. I told y'all, this is symbolic throughout. <coughs> he's in charge of the whole thing. He's the orchestrator of the wedding feast. The place the blood of Jesus was poured out first was before his father on the mercy seat in heaven satisfying his justice against man's sin. This satisfied the sacrifice the law demanded and the justice that God demanded for sin. The bride price was paid in full. As soon as that wine touched the governor's lips, he proclaimed that you saved the best for last and that's exactly what God the Father did. He saved his very, very best for last. He gave the Abrahamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the law and prophets and judges and the priesthood and the kings of Israel and the priests, but never, but never all of these in one. 
Jesus was all of these and more. He's the true and better covenant, the true and better prophet, priest, judge, and king of kings. God saved his best for last. And now because of that, we who were once last are now first because we, the Bible says, who were once afar off have been brought nigh by the blood of Jesus. Jesus in his first miracle marks the beginning of his ministry and he manifests his glory. People talk about the glory of God being manifested. This was the manifestation of the glory of God in Jesus showing the, way, the reason that he came. The miracle was not in, the, the miracle was in what yes water being changed to wine was miraculous but the greater miracle was what that miracle pointed to That miracle that water turning into wine pointed to one day as a songwriter said on a hill far away there stood an old rugged cross as that precious blood was poured out, what happened in the heavenlies, he took this old system, this old covenant system that only one people were made part of. Even Jesus, he told the Syrophoenician woman who came to him to have her to have a devil cast out of her daughter. He said, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He went to his own and his own received him not. So now he says, let whosoever will come. And that's what happened. When he died and that red royal precious blood fell down Calvary. It answered the cry that ever since Moses walked down off Sinai with the law of God in hand, ever since that day, the law of God had been crying out, I need a perfect sacrifice. I will not be satisfied until perfection is achieved. And they tried, there were 600 and something laws that they had to follow in the Old Testament trying to reach that perfection. But it took God himself. I love what Peter says about it. He said, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But making himself of no reputation, he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Everybody that reads this passage wants to get excited about water being turned into wine and I get excited about water being turned into wine too because it was the water of life that was turned into the blood of a new covenant that made a way where there was no way that made a way for us who were born outside of the covenant promise of Israel to be brought nigh and to be brought into covenant. Listen to me this morning. All right, the Old Testament talks about the wild olive branch that was grafted into the true vine. Friend, that's us this morning. The church of the living God was that wild olive branch that was grafted in to a people that God called Israel made up of Jew and Gentile. 
I think of that, I think of that passage in Revelation where it says, and after this I looked and beheld a number that no man can number, made up of all tribes, nations, and tongues, who cried out, glory and honor be to the Lamb who sits on the throne and to our God forever and ever and ever. Friend, if it had not been for the water of life being poured into the stones and blood coming out so that the law of God was written on our hearts and pointed to our need for a Savior, we would not have any sort of hope in this life. But thanks be to God. We, Paul said in Hebrews, who are anchored in Christ have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to the hope set before us. All because of a wedding. What a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. Friend, I've been invited to a wedding. I remember I believe it's in Mark's gospel where Jesus says that there was a king who was making a wedding feast for his son and he sent out his servants and said, you go and tell go and tell all my friends that I'm making a wedding for my son and they made excuse about why they couldn't be there and they went back to the servants, went back to the king and they said, king, we invited them but yet they stayed, they made excuses and they couldn't come and the king said, you go out into the highways and into the byways and into the hedges go out to the ditches of this world and you invite those you find to come to the wedding friend he didn't only invite us but he gave us a wedding garment and he said you come to the wedding and he still does that today the king has given order to say let all who want to I promise you, friend, Jesus ain't going to force himself on you, but if you want him, he's already got you anyways. If you want him, you can come. But maybe here this morning, you're like those Jews and you keep on looking to empty things in your life. You're wrapped up in religion and wrapped up in ritual and Jesus wants to give you relationship and reality this morning. He loves you and he died for you and he wants relationship with you. You come to him and I'll tell you what will happen speaking from experience, all right? You give him emptiness and he'll fill the void. You give him brokenness and he'll make it whole. You give him a mess and he'll make miracles. Give Jesus what you have, as insignificant as it may seem, and watch him give the significance. He delights in taking things that we believe are useless and making them useful. Come to Jesus. Drink this wine of the new covenant, friend. Let him wash you. I remember what Isaiah said. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they, they shall be, let be as wool. Though they be red like crimson, they'll be white as snow. 
Jesus is the only one this morning that can take a heart that's black and filled with sin and a life that's broken and wash it in, in red precious blood and it come out whole and made new and white as snow on the other side. Come to Jesus this morning. Come to Jesus. Call upon him while he's near, the Bible says. Seek him while he may be found. Come to Jesus. Give him your sin. Give him your heartache. Give him your trouble. And he, he's the only one that can take it. And he'll make all things new. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wellspring Tabernacle Podcast. If you feel led to do so, please give us a review on the platform of your choice. And if you would like to reach out to us further, please email us at wellspringtabernaclenc at gmail.com. Until next week, may God bless you.